From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Coming up on this post-2022 election edition, while there are still many unknowns, this we do know. Increasingly, we live in a divided nation, a nation of contrast. Our candidates are contrasting themselves in a positive way about what they believe in. Lower cost, bigger paychecks, safer communities, and a record that the Democrats have in that regard that our great president has taken the lead on and Congress has fulfilled. That was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on PBS NewsHour before the polls closed yesterday. And here's Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida after the polls closed last night, and he won his race by nearly 20 points. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. So what does this increasingly divided nation mean for Christians in America? I'm going to discuss that a little bit later with Pastor Gary Hamrick. And what were the real surprises in the election results and what were behind those surprises? We'll talk with pollster Scott Rasmussen in just a moment. Also, Vice President for FRC Action Brent Kylan and FRC's Connor Simmelsberger will join me to look at the latest election results, including the various ballot initiatives. All that is coming up on this edition of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. The word for today comes from Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Amos tells the people that God will not bring judgment without first sending a warning. Now, the people were probably saying, well, all right, he hasn't said anything. Where's the warning? Well, the fact that God communicates a warning does not necessarily mean the people will hear that warning. As we see in Amos's day, the people often refuse to listen. In Amos' day, people ignored and dismissed God's word, often canceling, if not killing, the prophets who delivered it. You might be asking, well, how would God communicate such a warning today? Well, he has it all written down for us so that it's readily available. It's called the Bible, his word. The word of God is speaking to us today in the same way Amos spoke to Israel. And it is a very similar message. Return to me. I'll tell you what, we cannot afford to be hard of hearing. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Though many races remain too close to call, it does appear that the Republicans will control the House of Representatives next year, allowing the anticipated Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and GOP leadership to pump the brakes on the Biden administration's legislative agenda. But the red wave that many expected did not occur. Why? What were the surprises? Well, joining me now is the man who has all the answers, Scott Rasmussen. He's the president of RMG Research and the editor-at-large of Ballotpedia. Scott, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, it's always great to be with you. I, I don't know that I have all the answers, but I do have to correct you on one thing. This election is not over. Very likely we'll be seeing a runoff in Georgia again, um, and it could very well be a, a runoff that will determine control of the U.S. Senate. But uh, but you are right. Most of the races are called. You know, and, 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 and to the issue in Georgia, I mean, this is deja vu. We had this uh, just two years ago, and we're seeing it again, controlling the outcome of the United States. And I feel sorry for those folks in Georgia, especially those who watch TV. I do, too. They're just going to be swamped with ads. Uh, I think there's something, though, you, you have to recognize about this. There's two big differences 
uh, between this runoff and the runoff from two years ago. Two years ago, the runoff took place in January. Uh, this year, it's going to be December 6th, a lot closer to the original election, which means there's a lot less time for the parties to gin up their get-out-the-vote efforts. Secondly, Joe Biden is now president, not Donald Trump. And what that means is the Republicans have a bit of an edge this time going into the runoff. Don't quite know what's going to happen, but uh, if it's a choice between helping Joe Biden's agenda and hurting Joe Biden's agenda, that may outweigh the choice between Walker versus Warnock. Okay, Scott, let's step back. And, you know, everybody was kind of predicting a a red wave. Uh, It was anticipated. Some of the polling was was showing that. It it does look like the House will be in Republican hands with the the margins much narrower than anticipated just uh, a week ago. So what were the surprises here? The first surprise, uh, youth turnout very much stronger than we would have expected. Um, And overall, the turnout... um, was just a couple of points more favorable to the Democrats than we might have expected. When you talk about House races, how many seats the party picks up, a one- or a two-point difference in turnout can be the difference between, say, a 10- or 12-seat pickup and a 40-seat pickup. A lot of close races. Almost all of the toss-ups went to the Democrats. Now, you talk about youth turnout. Does the student debt loan forgiveness have any factor in that? Absolutely. One of the one of the issues that would have been um, considered and it was considered to help drive up the youth vote. So what I mean, generally speaking, that segment, that demographic doesn't vote very heavily. What do we know in terms of uh, percentage turnout among that? Do we know that yet? It's we don't really have good numbers on it yet. We just know from the exit polling and other sources it was higher than expected. But we don't really know. And let's be clear, youth turnout still wasn't very good. It's just a little bit higher than expected. But again, one or two point difference makes a lot of difference. In a nation that is so divided, you're absolutely right. right. Just a few handfuls of votes can make a difference. Now, help me with something, Scott. When I look at the some of the exit polling and the dissatisfaction with President Biden, his policies, the economy and the depth of that uh, discontent. I mean, some people, one third saying they were angry about the situation in America. So why did the majority of voters stick with the president and his party? Uh, first, it's not clear that a majority of voters did. I think yeah, a yeah, slight the, majority right. of voters actually voted for a Republican, yeah. Uh, yeah. but not nearly in, in the, at the levels we would have expected. There is a disconnect that is going on uh, in American politics between the president and legislative races. We noticed it in 2020. Joe Biden won the White House, but Republicans gained in the House. This time with Biden and his job approval rating in the low 40s, we would have expected a bigger wave. Uh, my sense is partisanship still very alive. Uh, you've got, you know, hardcore Republicans, hardcore Democrats, butt heads. Uh, they each have some supporters, and most Americans are trying to keep their head down and avoid getting caught in the crossfire. But that, that partisan dynamic is now a little bit separate from the Biden-Trump dynamic. Uh, and I think I would put it in the sense that when people think about the presidents, especially those two presidents, they're thinking a little bit of yesterday's news. Um, and really, when they're voting for the House and Senate, they're trying to think about what's going to happen next. Yeah. Um, thanks for correcting me on that, that point about the majority. It wasn't. It was, just, it was not what we had anticipated. Right. <clears throat> but when you <clears throat> excuse me, when you look at 
I would say the last decade and a half, two decades. I mean, you can go back to uh, to to George W. Bush um, in his race with Al Gore. I mean, where when you know we're we're down to counting hanging chads. I mean, right. we're a divided nation, and I think there are some that think, well, if we just win this election, there's going to be this cushion here. I mean, we have two very different worldviews, if you will, that are competing against one another. And the policies could not be more different from those two worldviews. We have had nine consecutive presidential elections where nobody's won more than 53 percent of the vote. Never happened before in American history. Yes, we are very, very closely divided. And we need, we desperately need a landslide. Because, you know, when Ronald Reagan won 49 states. Democrats didn't say if Walter Mondale had done something different, he would have won. We really need that to clean our system. Uh, How do you get there? There there are competing worldviews, but I would put it in this sense. Uh, America was founded on the ideals of freedom, equality, and self-governance. For almost all of my life, and perhaps much longer, the political right has been identified with freedom. The political left has been identified with equality. And those perceptions still, everybody wants both, but you place a priority on one side or the other. What is happening right now is the Democratic Party is beginning to move away. The progressive wing of the Democratic Party is moving away from equality. They're talking about equity. Um, And that's a concept that the vast majority of Americans reject. So at some point, a leader is going to figure out how to how to become lead a movement of freedom and equality. They are going to force the progressives out into a, actually what, what Ron DeSantis said, uh, you know, this is where woke goes to die. Those policies will never carry the day. Uh, but, but who will do it? I don't know. Uh, both parties have strengths and weaknesses in trying to do that. But that's going to happen. Some, I'm still very optimistic about America. I believe our best days are still to come. And I believe it. Because we've been through this before. I mean, I remember the late 60s and early 70s. We never thought we would uh, be where we are today. But shortly after that, Ronald Reagan came and brought us morning in America. So we'll go through that again. It may get worse before it gets better, but our best days are still to come. When you you look back to Ronald Reagan, and there was a lot of Democrats that left the Democratic Party because the party had been shifting, and they, they came and they supported Ronald Reagan that was what gave him the edge. And I've I've observed this in my almost 20 years here in, in Washington, that the, the the Congress really does reflect what we see happening in the states. The red states are getting redder. The blue states are getting bluer. But Congress, either you have the, the Democrats are becoming more liberal and the Republicans becoming more right. conservative. There appears to be less middle ground. Yeah, and that is a function of the election process. It is a function of gerrymandering. When you have 90% of the congressional seats really drawn to to select one party or another, it's hard to get the kind of balance uh, that would be much healthier for our system. You know, if you go back to the early days of our country um, and all the way through most of the 19th century, the average turnover in an election in the House was 50%. One year it even got to 76%. Uh, that kind of turnover, you know, it, it, avoid, it keeps away uh, entrenched attitudes. We don't have that system anymore. People go to Washington, they get into Congress, and they stay. They get put into safe districts, and then they promote their agenda 
uh, knowing that they're safe from any kind of consequences. And that happens to people in the very red districts and the very blue districts. Scott, final question for you as you look at some of these races, and we made reference to this earlier, but so many races are so narrowly divided that just a handful of votes will make the difference. And that really speaks to the importance of everyone participating in the process. Right. We're, we're in a situation right now where turnout de- determines the results. Um, you know, we can talk all we want about campaign strategies. Campaigns are about fundamentals. The fundamentals this time where the country's not in a great spot, but the Democrats had a good Senate map that set up automatically a number of close races. Um, and in those close races, every single ballot counts. Um, I do think we have to acknowledge a couple of other things that have happened, though. Uh, in this election, it became very clear that Florida and Texas are no longer swing states. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second and third largest states in the nation are Republican states, and the states that have become the battlegrounds, uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania. By the way, Republicans had a horrible day in both those states uh, <laughs> uh, on Election Day. But those are states where they are competitive now, and they never were before 2016. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So progress is being made. Scott Rasmussen, always great to talk with you. I'm sure we'll be talking with you again over the next month as this uh, election cycle continues. All right. Look forward to it. All right. And, folks, Washington Watch continues on the other side of the break. I'll continue the election analysis with Brent Kylan and Connor Simmelsberger right here. I'll go away. More straight ahead. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. As noted, the anticipated red wave was more like a, uh, a tinkle yesterday. But it does appear that the Republicans will take control of the House of Representatives. And now, what messages can we find in last night's return? With me to discuss this and more, Brent Kylan, Vice President of FRC Action, and Connor Simmelsberger, Director of Federal Affairs for Life and Human Dignity here at the Family Research Council. Brent, Connor, welcome back. Thanks, Tony. Uh, I'm sure it was a short night, long day, <laughs> but uh, we're still counting. And as I, I said at the beginning of the program, we even talked about this last night, the, the trends are the Republicans will take the House. The question is now the margin. Uh, by which they'll take the House. What, what are we finding out in the numbers? Yeah, Tony, that's that's been one of the interesting themes is just how close these results are going to be to what we went into the night with. So the House right now, we're looking at uh, 203 uh, seats that have been called for the GOP. That's, that's kind of changing by the hour right now as these returns come in. They need to hit that 218 mark for the outright majority. Uh, 173 have been called for the Democrats. So like you said, it, it is trending well for them, not, not the big margins we were expecting, but a good sign there. You know, and then the Senate right now, um, they just called earlier today the uh, U.S. Senate race for um, Ron Johnson mm -hmm. in Wisconsin. That's a big race. It was anticipated that he would win, but it's also Wisconsin. Right. Very close race. And he's somebody our, our PAC had endorsed as a true blue candidate. So that puts the Senate at 48-48 now. Um, the Alaska race is still not called yet. It's anticipated that would go Republican, put them well, the two top, at 49. The two top vote-getters there were Republican. They had three running in that race. That's right. Now, That's they right. have this weird system there. If someone doesn't reach 50 points, uh, 50 percent, it, it goes to a ranking system. That's right. It's a ranked choice. It's newly implemented in Alaska. I think this is the first year they've actually had this. I think this. someone stayed out in the cold too long that came up with that idea. But but. I don't see any scenario in which it's not one of the Republicans. That's right. That's right. All right. So that would put the Republicans at 49. Mm -hmm. And then we still have a couple of outstanding. We have Arizona. We have Nevada. And, of course, we've got uh, Georgia, which looks like it, it's headed to a runoff. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So you pick up one of those races. You're at 50 for the GOP uh, in Nevada. Adam Laxalt, the Republican candidate, is up by a couple points with, I think, 75 percent in right now. So that's that's looking good for them. But all three of the races still looking close right now. 
So there is a path still forward for the Republicans to take the majority in the uh, in the Senate. There is, yeah. But it may come down to uh, to Georgia going into December in that runoff election. Just like we saw two years ago. Yeah, we were just talking about the Scott Rasmussen. But he made a point that the one difference is that he thinks that the Republicans could have an, an advantage because the uh, with Biden being the president, you don't have Trump as president. And, and so there's just a different dynamic that he thinks could benefit the Republicans. But, you know, it's hard to speculate at this point. So let's let's talk about the uh, the makeup, how the Republicans got to this point to where they're about to take the majority in the House. Yeah, it's, it's been quite the journey. You know, this cycle was new after the last census. Every 10 years, they sort of reapportion and redistrict. And that census was sort of messy with COVID and everything. But nonetheless, uh, states redistricted. And that really played a big factor last night. Uh, Florida, with Governor DeSantis, who won handily, he put a really good map in. They actually picked up three seats partially because of redistricting. And even New York, it just goes to show how important these things are. New York had a really gerrymandered map. The Supreme Court threw it out, and it was more favorable to Republicans, and they actually picked up maybe three, four seats in New York. So just the redistricting could end up being the major factor in the Republicans capturing control of the Congress. That's right. And the thing about last night, it really what keeps coming to mind is you think of, you know, tournament brackets and you talk about chalk, all the winners. It sort of felt that way. A lot of the toss ups uh, really stayed hold, except what the big difference was, this redistricting factor. Well, well, that's interesting because that speaks to the importance of state legislatures, because it is the state legislatures that redraw those lines after every census. So, you know, you might not be able to run for Congress, but you can run for the legislature. You know, I served in the legislature, went through the redistricting process. And and those are important. And the fact that you have and we saw this after 2010, that the, the last that that was a wave, a red wave with the Tea Party, that uh, legislatures went into the hands of Republicans. Uh, after that census, they were able to, to redraw the congressional lines, which brought us to this point. They were able to redo it again after the 2020 census. So that has an effect for at least a decade or more. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and as we've seen last night, um, how state Supreme Courts play a big factor uh, looks favorable both in uh, Ohio and North Carolina, that those are going to go away. And that's important because these maps might even improve even more so in, well, in the years ahead. Well, almost everything is litigated these yeah, days. And right. In fact, we were down in North Carolina. We did an event there uh, that involved the uh, Supreme Court candidates to encourage people to turn out and vote for, for in that election. So when these things go to the courts, it's important that we have court uh, or justices that abide by the Constitution, which, of course, we got after the 2016 election in the federal courts because of Donald Trump. Tony, the other thing that's interesting about the redistricting is the strategy that a lot of these, you know, even Republican-leaning legislatures implemented. Um, they, they went a different route than they have sometimes historically, uh, carving out more safe districts mm-hmm. and fewer swing districts in a lot of these states. So it actually was anticipated, maybe not necessarily these exact numbers, but if the GOP did in fact pick up the majority, it might be a, a smaller number but that a lot of those districts would be safer. So that will be that will be significant to watch because yeah. if that's the case, they won't be having to watch out for, for some of these votes that we historically see in, see in right. swing districts and, and these sorts of things. And, and we've seen that. I was talking about this earlier with Scott, is that the 
the Republicans have become more conservative, the Democrats more liberal, in part because of that redistricting process to where these districts are solidly within the hands of those particular ideological bents of the party. And uh, and, and so, you know, if I were a Republican in one of those seats, I would be happy uh, because that means you have a less less likelihood of being challenged. All right. We're up. We're up against a break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about the issues, because some we're in such a narrowly divided nation. Uh, it is a, it's not just a, a partisan divide. It is a ideological and I would uh, even say spiritual divide. But the life issue, while some would say cost the Republicans, there's evidence to say that those who took a strong stand on life benefited from it. We're going to talk about that uh, next. Brett Kylan, Connor Simmelsberger, my guest here as we take a look at the uh, really kind of analysis of uh, last night's election returns. And they're still coming in. So stick with us. We're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. We're continuing our conversation looking at uh, yesterday's election results. Brent Kylan, Vice President of FRC Action, and Connor Simmelsberger, Director of Federal Affairs for Life and Human Dignity here at the Family Research Council. So, Brent, before we go to the uh, to the states, um, I know that, there's again, there's still races being called, uh, congressional races, but so far, how did uh, FRC actions 
uh, true blue uh, recipients, those that were running for re-election, how they do? Tony, actually incredibly well. So FRC Action Pack made uh, 70 endorsements. Right now we have uh, 52 of those who have won overall. Uh, still a lot of races yet to be called, very close margins. But of those, you know, our true blue candidates um, are these these leaders, members of Congress who have voted 100 percent on our scorecard. And uh, over the last couple of years, we have scored a lot of votes impacting faith, family and freedom. And if you look at the true blues so far, 43 of those have won only one has lost. So 43 to one, I think it really speaks to a lot of these candidates who are voting right, voting very solidly. Right. Um, these are, are actually doing doing very well yeah, in the their one, races. The one was Steve, uh, Steve Shabbat in Ohio. Yeah. I know that district, a family in that district. I grew, kind of grew up as a kid around that area and it's changed. It was redistrict and then they've got, uh, it's just in the shadow of, uh, of Cincinnati and it's uh, kind of ch- the demographics, everything have changed there, but he's a great guy, he, but he's, he's lost before and came back. So who knows? Steve may be back after the next cycle. So let's go to the States. Um, there's a story here. When you look at, at governors who signed very strong pro-life laws and were, uh, un, uh, they, they were unashamed of standing for life. How'd they do? They did very well, Tony. That's just an understatement. You know, we had 11 governors that in their first term signed a really strong pro-life bill. Heartbeat legislation, life at conception, some multiple pro-life bills. Uh, Oklahoma governor said, I'll sign any pro-life bill you put to my desk. They didn't just win their races. They won by massive margins. Ron DeSantis by 20 points in Florida. Kim Reynolds signed a heartbeat bill. She won by 18 points in, in Iowa. And, again, Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma won by 13 points See, in, in And Oklahoma. that race in particular, I think, is kind of interesting because, you know, there was a lot of noise in that race mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it was neck and neck. And I saw a lot of polling said that he looked like he was going down. Um, but he never wavered on his positions. No, and he very much even leaned into them, you know, working against you know, transgender issues in the schools, too, and not only didn't, didn't hurt him, it might have even helped him with the base coming yeah. out to vote for well, I think it did. I, th- I think that's the story. When you look at Ron DeSantis, almost 20 points, that was a record. For, I think first time in 150 years you've had somebody do that well in a in a gubernatorial race in the state of Florida. I mean, now everyone is saying Florida is solidly a red state, no longer a swing state. So my takeaway from that, when you take strong, definitive, unambiguous uh, stands that um, people reward it, they're looking for clear uh, leadership. And this even trickled up to the Senate races, too. Marco Rubio signed the 15-week bill. We worked with him on several pro-life bills. He wins Florida big. Um, Same Ron Johnson. They ran all about abortion against Ron Johnson. He wins that by two points. And and this is uh, one of my favorites, too. You think of the the weakest pro-life candidate uh, uh, trying to hold on to a Republican seat. We'd say it was Dr. Oz in, in Pennsylvania. That was the only seat to flip so far, and he had probably one of the weakest pro-life yeah. positions out yeah. there. I, again, going back to a nation that's divided, every election is, is really kind of a base election, and, and people are going to be motivated by those who take strong, definitive stands on the, the issues that they care about. Tony, I think what sticks out about this list you know, that Connor's talked about to me is we've got 11 of these governors 
who have signed meaningful pro-life legislation, uh, in many cases heartbeat legislation, all 11 of them won yesterday, and these are not all deep red states, just like you're talking about. Florida, you mentioned those numbers. Georgia, that that race four years ago was the closest uh, race in the country. We didn't right. know for days right. who, who won that. You know, Iowa is typically a, a swing state. Ohio is not, you know, a, a state that's typically yeah, I mean, considered. And, and, and DeWine is, um, I mean, he, he he's just kind of methodical, gets the work done. But he has took taken a strong stand on these issues, and and the voters rewarded him. And I yeah. think that puts you know Ohio solidly in a Republican column. Yeah, and, and to converse him with his predecessor uh, Kasich, he would not sign oh, the heartbeat yeah, bill. Yeah, right. And when Dewine yeah. got in, he said, "I will sign the heartbeat yeah. bill," and he was rewarded for it. Yeah, very interesting what we see happening at the states, and um, and again, I think Congress reflects that, where you see. You know, the Congress becoming more conservative from those red states, the redder states becoming redder, the bluer states becoming bluer. Yeah. And and how this played out, you know, you look at, um, you know, some of these governor's races. We look the other side that really leaned into the abortion issue. It was similarly uh, understandable. Wow. These pro-abortion governors, they won the races. again. We're we're up against a break, Hunter, but very quickly, 30 seconds, the lame duck session. How does this factor into a lame duck? Yeah, it's now going to be much more interesting. All these uh, final uh, weeks to end out the year, uh, there's going to be a lot on the table, and we got to be pressed in to make sure we keep all, all the bad legislation from coming to fruition these next few weeks. All right. And so, folks, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be covering the lame duck session. We'll probably have a uh, special segment every day. Uh, Connor or somebody from the RGA team will be, uh, will be in kind of giving you updates because, as stated, you're going to have to lean in and help on this because there's some really, really bad pieces of legislation that have been teed up uh, in the Senate, and we got to stop it. Brent, Connor, great to see you. Thanks for uh, staying up late last night and still combing through the stuff today. We'll, I'm sure we'll have more even uh, tomorrow. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it. All right. All right, folks, don't go away. When we come back, Pastor Gary Hamrick joins me as we talk about, as Christians, how do we navigate such a such a divided nation. That's next on Washington Watch. Don't go away. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. 
Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. All right, this is Washington Watch. So glad you are tuning in on this Wednesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Also, PrayVoteStand.org. If you happen to have missed last night's uh, coverage. Now, obviously, uh, we're still covering it, but we had a lot of conversation last night. Uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs joined me. We talked about a number of things. Michelle Bachman joined me, had a number of members of Congress as well. So if you want to take a look at that, you can find it at prayvotestand.org. Now, if last night clarified anything, it's this, that the United States is a deeply divided nation. We've been talking about this. The red states are getting redder and the blue states bluer. Now, I've been actually been pointing this out, the same trend in Congress over the last 10 years. After all, Congress, especially the House, is a reflection of the country. Despite what we may want, okay, despite what we may want, there is not much in the way of consensus in America any longer. Now, that doesn't sound good, but it's just the reality. Now, obviously, for most of us who want to get along with others and just live our lives, this presents a problem. Now, this division is not just political. It is ideological. We're seeing that in our classrooms. But at its core, it's also spiritual. It comes with two very different worldviews, which result in public policies that are polar opposites. There was a time when there were just marginal differences between the two major parties when it came to policies. But those days are gone. Again, I know you may not want to hear this. But it is the reality of where we are as a culture and as a nation. Each election is about which worldview that will have the ability to make the laws and policies that govern our families and influence our children. And so we cannot afford to step back and not be involved or be discouraged and throw in the towel. I don't think we'll ever see that margin to where we can just like take our hands off the wheel of the culture. In fact, I think that's contrary to Scripture anyway. I mean, we're called to be salt and light. 
Joining me now to discuss this is Pastor Gary Hamrick. He's the senior pastor at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony. Good to be back with you. All right. Always good to see you. And uh, I knew that I could call upon you uh, as we try to make sense of last night's election results. Now, I don't want to be overdramatic. I mean, it looks like the Republicans will take control of the House, which was anticipated. And, you know, I think part of it was there was a higher expectation uh, going into the election uh, from the last couple of weeks in the polling. But as, as I said, we we're living in a divided nation. So as Christians, how should we respond to this reality? I had a pastor friend of mine text me this morning, and he said, well, it, it looks like the wave turned out to be a trickle. And um, I said, yeah, um, it seems so. But, you know, one of the things I want to remind us about is that God used righteous kings and unrighteous kings, in other words, good leaders and bad leaders, to accomplish his purposes. We can't forget that that for a season God sent the Israelites to Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar was a very unrighteous king, But the people were purified of idolatry during that 70-year process of being exiled there. There are things that God accomplishes with us, even when we are not happy with who might be in leadership. And again, you know, we did squeak by with some positive things. And I do want to encourage your listeners, um, because there's one thing that stood out to me in all of this. It seems, from some of the information I've been hearing today, that uh, one of the things that motivated people, despite the fact that we have one of the worst uh, seasons right now in terms of crime, one of the worst seasons of illegal immigration, one of the worst seasons of our interest rates are rising like they haven't been like the last 20 plus years. A variety of things are bad on the horizon. Why is it that so many people still voted for the status quo? And one of the things that they're showing uh, in, in the, in the uh, polling after the people went to the uh, voting booth is that abortion seemed to be an issue that uh, some on the left side um, were voting about more than the pain of inflation that we have and that's worse in the last 40 years. In other words, people came out because they didn't like the fact that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And you know what? If, if for no other reason, today I woke up knowing that, okay, that's the backlash to Roe v. Wade being overturned, but thousands of babies are going to be protected because in a previous election, people came out, they voted for a conservative president who put three justices on the court. There are going to be ebbs and flows with the political system. We cannot lose sight of the fact that Jesus is still on the throne. I don't care who occupies the White House or Capitol Hill. Jesus is still on the throne. We can't give up the fight. Because from one political season to the next, it can tip the scale in terms of righteousness or unrighteousness. So we have to be very vigilant still in what we're called to do. That's a really good point, uh, Pastor Gary, that, you know, I think I was not anticipating. I mean, I saw this. uh, Obviously, abortion was an issue in this election, but it appeared that it was being eclipsed by the issue of the economy. I think now we see why the president, vice president, continued to hammer this issue all the way up to election eve on abortion. Um, But you're right. Uh, And I hadn't thought about it in in those terms that, hey, if this is the price we have to pay to end the killing of the unborn on a wholesale basis here in the country, then 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 so be it. But what does that tell us about a culture that would put the killing of innocent children 
at the mm-hmm. top of the hierarchy of voting needs. Yeah, that's what concerns me the most, because this is Romans 1. You know, th- this is where we're going to be given over to a depraved mind because people are wanting things now that are so depraved. I mean, you're right. The people were more concerned about somehow trying to codify through the legislative system abortion rights, and that was more important to them than the pain of going to the gas pump or putting food on the table because of inflation right now. So what is that saying about our culture? It's saying we've got our work cut out. It's never going to get better. I mean, as much as we might want heaven on earth, that is not the case until the millennial kingdom when Jesus returns. And so until then, we're actually going to see, the Bible says, the world is going to become more and more evil as we get closer to the return of Christ. And our objective and our mission is we can't let up on the good fight of the faith because things will continue to intensify and we must continue to represent Christ up until the very end when he comes and takes us out of here. I was actually sharing with my team this morning. I I think what this election and not not in isolation, because, as I said, this is a trend that's been happening probably for almost two decades. Matthew 13, where Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and the tares, which he says, as he explains, that parable is a is a a picture of the end times. I mean, I think evil is going to become more pronounced. Good is going to become more pronounced. We're seeing people come to Christ. We're seeing the gospel go forth and transform lives. We're seeing a lot of good stuff happen. But the backdrop is evil. And and one thing that in that parable where the servants say, all right, should we go and pick to pull up the tares that the that the enemy has sown in here? And and the master says, no, 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 don't 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 get preoccupied with the evil. Um, Make sure you're tending to to the wheat. And so, yes, we need to know what's going on. But I think if we become preoccupied with the evil, we become discouraged And I think that's why Jesus warned us of all of these. He talks about this over in in, in John chapter 16. He's telling us this so that our joy might not be lost in this dark world. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that's good about not having everything go our way is that it keeps us in in the game, so to speak. Because one of the things that really concerns me is when things are going really well, let's say we have... We have a strong believer in the White House. Let's say we have strong believers on Capitol Hill. You know, everything is firing on all cylinders. The church gets complacent. We get lazy. It happens time and time again where we just check out. So if nothing else, you know, there are some small victories that we can be thankful for. But I'm there's a part of me that says I'm glad we didn't get everything we wanted because the tendency is then the church just becomes lazy and we check out. And so that's my biggest concern of staying engaged, because you're right, the evil will not get better. It will get worse as we get closer to the return of Christ. So we have to be still fighting that good fight of the faith. Uh, Pastor Gary, I want to go back. You were talking about the how evil it is for those that above everything else, they want to make sure that the lives of the unborn can be taken. And and it's just it's amazing to me. I have a hard time grasping that. But I think it, 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 putting that in context of this parable we were just talking about, I, I think that also challenges us as believers. We've got to be more committed to the truth and living out that truth as 
some are in living out and upholding evil. And, and I will tell you, a, 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 we were just talking in the segment before you joined us about what happened in 11 states across the country where you had governors that took very strong stands on the life issue, whether it was a heartbeat bill or uh, a, a, a bill that protected life from the moment of conception. All of those governors won overwhelmingly yeah, they because well. they were clear on their positions and they took a strong stand. And guess what happened? They won. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, DeSantis is a great model. What happened in Florida is uh, a good model for going forward. I sometimes wonder, you know, were the best candidates picked that people felt like I don't really have a great option here, so I'm going to stick with the status quo. But going back to what you said a moment ago, you know, about how can people choose abortion over even just the pain at the pump? I mean, just that's one tiny little example of like we're feeling the effects of, of inflation and yet people are going to choose Abortion rights. Here's what happens, Tony. This is what I'm convinced of. The more we've removed God from the equation, we become a more man-centric culture. And so people now are more about their personal rights because they put themselves at the center of their universe instead of God being at the core of everything. And therefore, they're not really concerned about what are the policies or what are the things that we need to implement that are God-honoring People are now going to the polls thinking, what best serves me? And the more that people have a lack of an understanding of the Lord and Jesus and how he transforms lives, they're just going to gravitate to their own depraved soul. We all have a depraved soul, except that it can be regenerated through faith in Jesus. And so without that regeneration, we're just going to do what gratifies our own depraved soul. And that's what they've done in many respects to try to advance personal causes that, that satisfy me and my depraved soul. It, it really can, that brings up a, a point that I haven't talked about yet in the program today. Talked a little bit about it last night with George Barna. You're familiar with this term, SageCon, yeah. the spiritually yeah. active, governance-engaged conservative. And, and, you know, that's what we are. You know, we've had uh, several events there at Cornerstone Chapel focused on the SageCons. And, and those are Christians. Well, let me give the the acronym SAGECON stands for spiritually active, governance engaged, conservative. Those are people who are engaged by their faith. But even those who engage in the process because of their faith may sometimes step back and say, well, you know, look, it's just not going the way it should. That's when, like David did, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Our, our, our eyes cannot be on government because government is going to disappoint us at some point yeah. in time. Our eyes have, have to be on the Lord in doing what he has instructed us to do, occupy till I come, be salt and light. You know, Paul, I, I, I close every program with uh, Ephesians 6, having done all, stand. I mean, that's those are our marching orders. Yeah, and you, you mentioned that thing about David had to encourage himself in the Lord, and that was after a terrible battle at Ziklag where... All the wives and children had been captured by the Amorites while while David and his men were off fighting. They come back, and David had to encourage himself in the Lord. You know why? Because the Bible tells us that all his men wanted to stone him because they held him responsible. And what I love about David and that example that you bring up is that he just turned to the Lord, encouraged himself in the Lord, and he was willing to stand alone. Yeah. That is so critical in our day because... There might be people around us who don't share the same passions or the same enthusiasm or the same, uh, what I call this burning in my belly for the soul of America right now. And okay, 
well, I can't be responsible for them, but I can still stay engaged and I can try to make a difference in my little bean patch, like we've talked about before with Shema, the way he defended that little bit of territory. So Christians just have to still consider that, A, Jesus is on the throne. B, I need to do my part. I can't check out. I can't get discouraged. It's going to get worse before Jesus comes again. So I have to accept that. This isn't heaven yet. One day when we're there, all this won't matter anymore. But until then, I got to fight the good fight of the faith. Stay that salt and light that we're talking about. Absolutely. And uh, there's so many illustrations we can draw from in Scripture that would point to that. By, by the way, folks, uh, before we wrap up here, uh, if you'd like to know if you're a SageCon or not, if you fit the profile, we've got a, a survey that you can take. Just text the word SageCon, that's S A G E C O N, all one word, to 67742. You can text it, uh, you'll get a link, it's take about 10 questions, you fill it out, and you'll get the response to it and see if you're one of those, uh, you are one of those SageCons. Uh, Pastor Gary, always great to talk with you, my friend. So good to see you. You too, Tony. Thanks for doing all you're doing there at FRC. Really appreciate you. All right, brother. Keep standing. Thank you. You too. Well, folks, um, we're going to continue probably tomorrow. I'm heading out to California. We've got our friends of FRC uh, dinner out there tomorrow night. We'll have... uh, Secretary Mike Pompeo will be joining us there, Michelle Bachman, Ken Blackwell. But I'll still be doing radio from his channel out in California. So we'll continue our analysis of the election as the returns come in. So I encourage you, um, look, keep your eyes on the Lord. We've been called for such a time as this. This is this is we have been entrusted with this moment in history. Let's respond appropriately. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul. He says, you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand. By all means, no matter what, win or lose, just keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.